From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. HealthLink has done many segments about the opioid crisis. Today, we're going to focus on some solutions. We've got a pair of psychiatrists from Upstate who are providing outpatient detoxification and opioid-free treatment. With me in the studio is Dr. Brian Johnson, the Director of Addiction Medicine. He's a professor of psychiatry and anesthesia at Upstate. His colleague is also with us, Dr. Sunny Asla, an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, Well, you offer treatment that uh, consists of detoxification. So tell me what that is, Dr. Johnson. uh, If patients are on alcohol, benzodiazepines, or opioids, there's a significant withdrawal and... uh, I've at this point done about 17,000 detoxes. Over time, we've learned how to do it better and better, and we do 100% outpatient detox. You come in with a support person. If you're in alcohol withdrawal, it takes us three or four hours to get the withdrawal under control, and you go home and sleep in your bed. Your support person monitors you for a day and uh, usually is done with their job by the next day. Uh, benzodiazepines are have a similar withdrawal, but it's slower moving. And finally, opioids is a snap. We have you come in with your support person in opioid withdrawal. We give you a single dose of long-acting buprenorphine. It's got a 37-hour half-life. There are some other medicines that are adjunctive, help you sleep, and we treat gut cramps or anxiety if you've got it. And a week later, you're off your opioids, and it was no big deal. You said it's a snap. When you hear about withdrawal, you always think about you know what you see portrayed in the media of this awful, horrible time. Um, yeah, so patients come in, they're terrified of their withdrawal, and a day later, it's like, well, that was nothing. Huh. And does it have staying power? Does it last? So we do not have prospective studies because we haven't had funding for that for various reasons, even though our treatment is great. But retrospectively, we know that our completion rate for outpatient detox is 92%. Our one-month sober rate from opioids is 60%. But that's no big deal either because if you relapse, you know, it's common. It's not a big deal. You come back in and you have another detox and we see you intensively until you're safe. Okay. Well, tell me, uh, kind of walk me through this, if you will. Uh, what is this initial evaluation like for patients? So Dr. the initial, awesome? Yeah. So the initial evaluation is intensive much like uh, the detoxification process. And people come in and they meet um, with a trainee, typically under the direct supervision of the team, Dr. Johnson and myself, and they get all kinds of uh, um, scales that they fill out um, based on their personality, on their symptoms. Then they're interviewed um, by the trainee. And then the the case is presented in a a team format where we get our group of experts together in the room with a sober support person. The case is presented by the trainee and we talk about the case. We start to have um, a back and forth um, that continues as a part of the treatment when if there's detoxification, we're seeing the person daily. This is an intensive program where we see folks daily um, until they're stabilized and then typically twice a week. Um, But this, as you can imagine, it takes hours. And so uh, we start to really to get to know this person, but we've only scratched the surface. So 
Uh, that's the point of having the ongoing treatment where we're seeing people um, daily, particularly during detoxification. So the, the first, the initial evaluation is their first appointment with you? Correct. So uh, someone listening to this program, um, who, who does this work for? Does, does the patient themselves need to want this or can their loved one, their support person say, this is what you need, this is where we're going? Sometimes it's a combination of both, but certainly we. this is voluntary treatment. People come because they want to be there or a loved one. You has, can't really force someone to exactly, do Exactly, right. And so people want to be there, and it's intensive. Again, they're going to be there for a few hours. We spend a lot of time getting to know um, um, our patients. Um, do you have, if, if a person calls today for help, um, how long does it take to get them in? Oh, often the same week um, or so er- early next week. And we see much of this as an emergency. I mean, if someone, the choice is between someone IV injecting um, heroin, diacetylmorphine tonight versus coming tomorrow, we want you to walk in with your sober support person now and let's, let's uh, this is an emergency. So you've both mentioned the um, sober support person. Um, that sounds to me like it's a pretty crucial part of this process to getting off of opioids. Is that correct? Absolutely. So we, we know from, from data, and, and Dr. Johnson's been doing this a long time, that if there's someone there who cares about you, um, who will come in with you, and often maybe help administer your medication, for example, for alcohol, uh, we know um, success rates for uh, being sober off alcohol are much higher if there's a sober support person giving you um, disulfiram, which is a medication that doesn't do anything if you don't drink, but if you drink, you get, you can get sick for uh, vomit for a few hours, turn red. Um, but if, if there's a loved one involved, then, then chances that people are going to remain sober greatly increase. Okay. Well, let me ask you this in terms of strategy for getting um, opioid use, getting off of opioid use. Is it different for the recreational user versus the person who got hooked after surgery, taking pain medicines. Is there a difference in that type of person who's addicted? This is a myth about recreational use. People say, oh, we were partying together. It's a euphemism for people who are terribly traumatized and are using drugs to cut off their bad feelings. So there's a lot of cultural denial and uh, there are a lot of drugs you just can't use recreationally. You know, one example is you can't inhale tobacco recreationally. It's so addictive. Okay. What about, you said that, you know, people start on this path. What do you do for their, the pain that is sort of the underlying, maybe the underlying reason someone got started taking these opioids to begin we, with? We do holistic treatment. So first of all, if you had a, an accident at work in 2006 and it's now 2018, the original pain driver is gone. Maybe you have some arthritis still in your back. So we examine a lot of backs. We treat arthritis, but people don't realize that opioids increase pain. It's called opioid-induced hyperalgesia. So we have a publication in 2017 showing that when we do our treatment, detox, and some other things, including psychotherapy, a month later, 3% of people say their pain is worse, 46% say it is exactly the same as it was on opioids, and 51% say it's better. Now the opioids are actually a pain driver and people don't realize it. I didn't realize that. So opioid, long-term opioid use. Yeah, no one should be on opioids for chronic pain. That is uh, 
terrible thing to do to anyone because their pain will gradually increase. Will it decrease once they're off the yes. opioids? It does. Yeah, uh, okay. the opioids are noxious and they have horrid side effects. They make people unrelated. And uh, so constantly people come in flat. We call it autistic. We detox them and the support people will say, oh my God, my husband, my wife is finally back to the person I married. And they recognize them again. Yeah. Hmm. Um, once someone is free of opioids, are they at, are they always at risk for going back on? Yes. So this is are. a horrible thing about addiction. Uh, the drugs change the brain permanently. This is why people will go to Alcoholics Anonymous their whole lives, even if they've been sober for decades, because once you reintroduce the drug into the brain, it turns on ferocious craving that has been dormant. So that's a sad thing. If you are addicted to tobacco, you can't go back to cigarettes once in a while. If you're addicted to alcohol, same. If you're addicted to opioids, same. So it sounds like a person, this may be sort of an urgent or emergent issue to begin with, but then it's a chronic, this is it's a, a lifelong chronic thing. illness. So we treat people relatively short term. That's why we can take in so many people and we try to get them into a, a process of recovery. And often they'll have to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous their whole lives. And we'll say to them, we have not cured one person of addiction, but we have pe gotten people into recovery. Interesting. Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Upstate's Dr. Brian Johnson and Dr. Sunny Aslam. They're psychiatrists in addiction medicine, and we're talking about how to get people off of opioids. Um, I don't want to forget to include uh, contact information, a phone number, or website for people who are interested. Do you have that readily available? So 464-3130. You just call up and a nice person answers the phone and gets you right into treatment. Okay. We're at 600 East Genesee Street, um, Suite 217. Okay. 315-464-3130. Okay. Okay, you also treat people who have um, chronic pain and who want to avoid getting addicted to opioids, right? They're proactive. Absolutely. So can you explain to me how that works? Well, it's a holistic evaluation. So I, I can't talk about any particular person because you heard from Dr. Aslam. Everyone gets about a two-hour evaluation. It's psychological. There's a physical exam. We try to understand what the pain driver is and then target the treatment specifically to that. So if, if someone has chronic back pain, uh, the most common driver of pain is arthritis. And uh, we often say to people, sorry, you're either going to have chronic pain or you're condemned to a, a healthy life. So you're going to have to go to the gym a lot. You're going to have to do core strengthening. If inflammation is a pain driver, we typically give anti-inflammatories. But not opioids. Opioids are not what the, opioids the people need. Opioids are, are not a specific treatment. They blanket the receptors in the brain that sense pain. So it does nothing for your bad back and except gradually increase the brain's reading of the pain as worse and worse. Okay. Uh, Dr. Aslam, what services do you offer for pregnant women who are addicted? So we do offer opioid maintenance for pregnant women up to three months after the baby's been delivered. Um, 
we one of the important things to realize about um, pregnant women uh, who are maintained on opioids, we use buprenorphine, um, is we insist that people um, get off all other drugs, and the most important one probably being tobacco. And so there's neonatal abstinence syndrome that we simply see in only the mildest forms on our service. Um, so we really believe that it's the tobacco, combined tobacco um, and opioid use uh, that leads to uh, the, the more severe forms of neonatal abstinence syndrome that are reported in the literature. This is the withdrawal that happens um, for, the, for the babies after they're born um, because we simply don't see it at the levels um, um, when the women are able to get off tobacco. So tobacco makes it that much worse. It seems to be the combination, we believe. We don't know, but we've, uh, we, Dr. Johnson's noticed that in particular. That is interesting. Well, Dr. Johnson, you're currently the president of the Onondaga County Medical Society. Um, can you talk to me about what your platform is? Sure. So first of all, if any doctors are listening and you're not a member, you need to join because it's functionally like a union. Our political power is based on our membership. And then uh, the platform is to address uh, the many things that are wrong. The Medical Society is an activist organization. So between tobacco, alcohol, and opioids, and, and a few other addictive drugs, about 25% of the population dies from drugs. And doctors take care of these patients as they're dying from the addiction. So my platform includes we need to do something about the uh, Americans who are profiting from killing people with drugs, especially the tobacco companies. I've suggested we have an alcohol purchase license. So if you're a bad driver, you can lose your driver's license. And if you're a bad drunk, you should be able to lose your alcohol purchase license. And then there are all kinds of other things, economic disparities uh, kill people, sexism and racism kill people. So we try to be young, diverse, and politically active, and, and that's the basic approach. Okay. Well, let me also ask you whether in the future um, it's possible that we'll have non-addictive opioids. Is there a way to make opioids where they're not addictive? So a, a drug can't be addictive unless it changes what's called the ventral tegmental dopaminergic seeking system. It, it goes from the midbrain through the basal forebrain to the nucleus accumbens. Any drug that changes that, and that would again be tobacco, alcohol, opioids by different mechanisms, now you suddenly urgently want the drug no matter how bad it is for you. So the definition of an opioid is it, it occupies the opioid receptor and it changes this pathway. So no, we're not going to find non-addictive opioids. All right. Well, good to know. Thank you so much for the information. My guests have been Dr. Brian Johnson and Dr. Sunny Aslam, psychiatrists from Upstate who specialize in addiction medicine. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.